I haven't seen all of the films in the world, but I don't know. I've never really seen that. All right. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Theater Cleaners. I am Todd. Beside me is Dom. And today we are going to be talking about a great film. It is called Moonlight and it has won many awards. Dom, I'm sure you can give us a brief synopsis as to what this movie's about. You put me on the spot. I hate when you do that. Um, So, it's a, according to Todd's notes, a timeless story of human connection and self-discovery. Moonlight chronicles the young life of a young black man from childhood to adulthood as he struggles to find his place in the world by growing up in a rough neighborhood of Miami. Um, In my own words... It's a growing up story. It's finding yourself, and it's split up into three acts, which is very indistinctly different from each other. And uh, yeah, it's a good watch. It is a good watch. But honestly, I can't believe you just kind of blew past the entire written synopsis that A24 provides about its own film. Oh, that you was didn't think that before was... I didn't read the end, yeah. Yeah, you didn't think that was sufficient enough? Dom has to put his own take on everything. I guess, I guess we're just going to roll with That's that. That's why we have a podcast, Todd. Fair enough. Everybody could just go online and read what the fuck they want to do, but no, they listen to our podcast because they want to hear what we think. Yeah, it's Um, our thoughts. And speaking of that, somebody that wants to hear what we think is our guest today, Dylan. Dylan Wallace, resident DP of 12 Midnight. Hello. First guest. It is me. It's a little sneak peek of what's going to happen in season two a little bit, right? Yeah, we wanted to give you guys like a little bit of a, a what to expect for the coming season. We're going to start bringing on people every now and again, let them talk about movies that they particularly find inspirational or inspiring or just flat out want to talk about. So Dylan Wallace just decided to to join us today to talk about Moonlight because we know he's he's been talking our ear off about it for a little while now. It is one of the movies I highly recommend. Yeah? Yeah. What are your uh what are some of your initial thoughts on the watch? I honestly the fir- the very first shot that you see uh when they've got the long like probably steady cam and it's just like circling that drug deal interaction going on um I thought that was actually especially cuz I've seen it twice now seeing it on the second time I really started paying attention to like the details the cinematography the 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 lighting Every, everything that I didn't really pay attention to. The first time I watched it was on a flight, so not the ideal scenario. Obviously, how the movie was intended to be viewed on, yeah, on, on a the, flight, on a small screen, in a little tiny screen right with, in front of you. Yeah, yeah. I do believe I didn't have uh, wired headphones at the time, so it's the little packs that American gives you. Oh yeah, oh the best man. audio so quality. Even, yeah, even yeah, so you probably elite. missed out on a lot, huh? A lot, but I the first five minutes, the first part was the crazy steady cam move where they just circle the guys at the apartment complex and then it takes you right into uh the chaotic handheld where he's chasing where you know the kids run by the bullies chasing Chiron they run past him and then it cuts to like the craziest handheld shot and then you know the the third thing was i think it was in the first 3 minutes they used a derogatory term, you know, like to kind of like, bam, you know, exactly. You don't even know what you're getting into, honestly. And they kind of, I did read like a synopsis from the DP and the director and they were saying they wanted to kind of throw that. They wanted to throw that word in at the very beginning to set the tone and like 
to not make it inorganic at the end of the movie. So I thought that was pretty cool. No, that makes that makes total sense. That's actually one of the things that I ended up making note on while I was watching it is it's kind of like they throw out like such harsh language to really like desensitize the viewer to it and like kind of put you in their shoes of like they they face some kind of harsh language like that on a daily, especially in their youth and everything like that. So it was something that like really sets the tone yeah, for someone. It's, it's just you're getting thrown into the world. It's not it's not to make you feel any specific way necessarily. It's just because it is the reality of what would have happened, right? So it's almost it's when I was watching it, I was kind of watching it and it seemed um similar to one of the more, more previous movies uh movements that we watched was the neorealism. It kind of feels a little bit like a neorealism movie in in a modern sense, uh, neo neo realism. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of feels a little bit like Mama Roma when she's out walking around in the streets and everything like that. They did a really good job of making Liberty City look and feel very neo realistic. I thought one thing I noticed <clears throat> the first time I watched it was I didn't know it was. It seemed like it was set in like Cuba or I. I kind of thought maybe South Africa the first time I was watching it, just because you hear uh, what's the um. Juan, uh, the drug dealer, you hear him like kind of speak in the way that he spoke, the words that he used, and then Chiron's mom, she said, what what did she say? I think it was, you know, what is you or who is you or something like that. And I just felt like, okay, maybe this is not a, you know, not a, a American state or anything. And uh, yeah, but definitely, I've only been to Miami once, but it definitely has, it doesn't feel like... Um, I would say it doesn't feel like America at times in certain areas of Miami. It kind of feels, especially Liberty City and some of the like less, you know, the poverty stricken areas. Definitely feels like a lot of influence from Cuba. It's not, it's along with those neorealism things, it's not making it look all bright and nice. It's showing the reality of, of what those certain places are like. And, uh, that comes with a lot of the culture, like Cuban culture. It's very big there. And, uh, the the poverty is not being hidden because it's part of the story it's real and it's not they're not trying to be like oh this is a good story about blah blah no this is a real story about real people and stuff absolutely and i mean they filmed the majority of this film on like like on location and it was like honestly really impressive and the studio initially had kind of a a hesitation about going to shoot in this area just because they didn't really know what to expect or if it would be safe or not for all the cast and crew and then once they ultimately find out that jenkins is from there and that's his hometown they opened up to the idea and it ended up being a, a really good situation for everybody a lot of the cast on set said it was a really welcoming area to go and film so it was just doing the place justice and it's also that's one of the things i wanted to just bring up is the fact of like shooting on locations you always get these like little imperfections that you can't craft if you were to like create a full design for say like the diner scene like you have so many different things there's so many different elements in the background even in part three that it's like you don't get those little imperfections if you're trying to recreate it or rebuild it into a perfect little image and that's what makes it a little bit more like realistic and kind of just pleasurable to watch it's real because it's real yeah yeah straight up yeah no i think it really gives the movie like ethos and like you really actually can understand that you're there helps you get into that so one of the things is this movie is obviously splitting up into three different parts, starting with Little, going to Chiron, and then ending with Black. And, you know, all three things have a, a very distinct look to them. And, I mean, Dylan, as a cinematographer, you can probably talk on the look a little bit, but 
first and foremost, I just want to ask both of you boys, what's your favorite part? Which one was your favorite? Favorite act? Yeah. Shit, that's a hard question. I really like the style. I don't know if you want to go first, but I'll tell no, you real take quick. it away. I really like the stylistic uh, look of the first act. I really like the the like the color and the look of it. Uh, it was like I'm pretty sure it was meant to look kind of like Fujifilm, um, and then the other acts have their own looks. But I really love that like if that feel looks really good. They kind of blown out whites, dark blacks. All of, all of them kind of have similar looks like that. Um, but it's just got like, it just looks good. It looks old school and I don't know. I just love that kind of detail. The, the look of it. It's a beautiful movie. It's beautifully shot. Um, but I think some of my favorite shots are actually from the third act. I think some of the best shots are in the third act, but I think the overlock overall look, I really like act one and, uh, Juan is a really cool character that we don't really get to see much in the movie and he won an Oscar for Supporting that role, acting. and he's only in a third of the movie. No, literally, I less, timed it out. Yeah, yeah. He's in less than 35 minutes of the entire film, and he managed to win a supporting role Oscar, and I think it was super well done, and I mean, it's uh, Mahersha... Wait, his... Yeah, it's Mahershala Ali. He's the dude from Green Book. He's been in a ton, and, like... He's the first Muslim actor to win a... Yeah, of the first person of Muslim faith to really? win an Oscar, which is one of the interesting facts. And I mean, this this film did a, a lot of firsts in terms of the Oscars and everything like that, but Ali also was up, him and Janelle Monet were also up for another Oscar that year for Best Picture with Hidden Figures, which is kind of a cool thing that they had two different opportunities to win. Um, was that I mean, Sharon's mom? No, uh, Janelle Monet was uh Teresa. she was nominated also. The Yeah, her... Her stuff was only filmed in three days, and she's the only she's the only actress to carry on across all three parts, and they filmed it all Whoa. in three days. That's crazy, actually. Oh, okay, wait. Yeah. Anyways, let's go back. Let's go back yeah, to what act yeah, is yeah, your yeah. favorite. What's your favorite act? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'm gonna go with Act Two. So really, yeah, it would make Chiron. I mean, you know, you put me on the spot. I have to choose one. I like all of them, but I thought, I thought when he grows up, and he starts. Because he, it was almost what changed him. You see him go from, he doesn't really know who he is. He's not sure if he's gay. He's obviously vulnerable the, throughout that. <clears throat> but it, he decides, you know, especially the, the ice bath mm-hmm. portion where he, I don't really, I was kind of, I wrote a note. I was like, I wanted to discuss what do you think the significance of that was? Because obviously he carries it on when you go to act three because he does it in act three as well. But I think, I don't know, act two, I'm not sure. I don't know, I liked the, so I did, this is a note on your, the Fuji look. So the first one was Fuji, the second one was Agfa, and the third was Kodak. I thought, I don't know if I, you know, like, hey, I've, I haven't seen, I haven't seen all of the films in the world, but I don't know, I've never really seen that. I don't know if that's common. But I've never heard of the, you know, and they did making I, it look like film. Well, no, like, but having three distinct different film stock looks. I don't know if that. I don't think it's very. I don't think it's very done. common. I I do think like having different looks between different acts is something that's been done before. But I don't think with. I don't a know about going as far. Look. Yeah, I don't yeah. know about going as far to make it look like a film. Like right. The DP he said there was they used the same uh, like basic grade 
across all three, mm-hmm. but to they were the, three different colored looks. The blown out whites, the yep. dark blacks. Which is them. what you were saying earlier. So I don't know. I mean, I like them all, but I'll go with act two. That's right. interesting because my personal, like off of just pure look was act three. So okay. even around this table, it goes one, two, three. Cause well, yeah, I mean, you're wrong and so are you, but. Sure. All right, it's whatever, dude. But no, with like act two, it was like the one thing I always kept noticing within the school was like, it's so white within the school with like the little pops of blue. And then good thing with like wardrobe department, because they put Chiron in the white and blue shirts two out of three times he's within the school. So it like, he matches with the color tones within it. And that was kind of cool, but it was also like with them having such blown out whites and everything like that, especially watching it like so late at night in a dark room, it kind of stung my eyes, but it was still like a good look. Um, you mind if we talk about a little more cinematography stuff? Yeah, I mean, so why not? I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I made a note of this because I was like watching it. I could have just remembered wrong as I was watching it, but pretty sure most of Act One is all daylight, bright, blown out. Act two kind of mixes in day and night almost evenly, and then Act three is mostly nighttime. Is that true? I mean, the majority of the time, I think so, because it's like yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a couple scenes here and there that are different, but for the most part, all light mixed, all dark. Except for Act 3, uh, when he goes to see his mom. They're out in the courtyard in the day. I mean, it's obviously cloudy, so it's a little muted, but it's still Yeah, I just think for the most part, like, it's uh, The majority of it takes place at that diner at night, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that's something interesting, or if I just kind of was like, oh, it looks like it's, like, light, middle, dark, because as he kind of, like, progressing from a innocent an innocent kid to more of like he's gone to jail he's like changed his personality he's now a drug dealer kind of kind of thing right so that's interesting yeah that is interesting i also don't know if you're just trying to prove you know what you do for work i don't even know if that's true in the movie but i just thought about that right now i was like huh all the things i remember from the first act are like really bright and then the second act kind of mixes in like a lot of school and then some of those interesting scenes where it's like the beach is a very pivotal moment and that's nighttime along with like a lot of other stuff with Kenny is at nighttime later at the diner. That's I true. Is I never, it Kenny honestly, or Kevin? Kevin? Kevin. Sorry, Kenny's it's not okay. right. It's okay. It's something with a K. I didn't, I would say I didn't even notice. I didn't notice the transition. I didn't, I didn't necessarily make a note of that earlier, but I was just kind of thinking about it. I was like all the things I noted yeah. in each act were kind of like, oh, that's daytime. That's kind of even, and that's like nighttime. I don't know. I could be wrong. Along with the cinematography, I actually have a question for Dylan. Let's hear it. Yes, Mr. Mister Cinematographer, let me find where I put my note. What do you think of uh, the use of, like, shaky cam and a little bit of, like, a, a blurred screen where, where they're, like, pulling focus? So they have a lot of soft focus, especially when it's opening up scenes, and then they pull that focus back in, but they still leave the backgrounds, like... A little opaque what's your what's your thoughts on i made a note of the the glass being crazy like the character it's it's the hawk vila anamorphics and i kind of dig did some digging on those i've heard of them but it definitely stands out especially on the second time i watch it because i'm watching it more critically um and i'm seeing you know the the edges of that glass is all all out of focus it's got crazy bokeh so i it was you know it's like it, the more that I learn and grow, the more I'm like staying in tune with trying to think about why, you know, because these are most of these things from 
you know, the deacons, the professionals of the world, they're intentional choices, you know, so I'm thinking more intentionally now about why, you know, what is, what are they trying to say? Why are they, why did you choose those? But it was, it was something I made a note of. And I did some digging and they're talking about, you know, they wanted to, you to be like immersed in the character, the chaos of, of Littles to Chiron to, to Black's growth. So I don't know. It It is interesting though. I do love uh, the look of animal. I do love of. the look of it, especially those specifically now, you know, I'm kind of like, man, man let's we'll find a way to get those or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think the anamorphics make it really, it makes the camera feel different than um, like circular glass. The anamorphics kind of give it more of like a like an old school look. It's almost kind of like an old school look, so that kind of goes with the film already. Because um, before you didn't really necessarily have larger digital sensors. You had literal film stock that didn't change sizes, so you needed to fuck with things other ways like lenses. Um, so this anamorphics, like you know, they give you more space in the vertical because how they work is like instead of having the light circular it kind of scrunches them down gives you a higher um gives you a wider frame while giving you more height in the in the vertical sense um and it ends up giving that like really kind of uh out of focused uh look on the edges because that's where the glass is getting kind of weird and then it also gives really interesting bokeh and reflections in the lens and refractions and stuff like that so it gives it a really like distinct look and it looks fucking good i even i noticed uh in a few of the scenes, whoever the whoever the subject was, so specifically, I think it was in uh, the diner when Juan and Juan little Juan and little both go to the diner the first start of the movie. He, there obviously little was the subject. Juan's standing up, and he's still in the frame, but he's to the edge where he it kind of feathers off and it's soft, and it's almost disorienting because you're. You can tell that it's it's like a two shot, but the but only one that's in focus on was yeah. was little, and it kind of caught my eye. And I was like, "Man, this is you know, it almost looks like it's an accident, like a pro- like a problem with your focus, but it's not. It's the it's the glass. So it's it's crazy how much character they've got." Yeah, it. Uh, I think you made a note. I think I read this. I cheated. I read your notes. You read you were, my notes. I read your notes. It's Dude, personal. Uh, man. You were talking about how the camera feels like a character. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of one of those things. Is it? It, the camera itself, and specifically the glass in this situation, is showing you who you're looking at. This is the person you're paying attention to. Juan is there, but he's not the important right now. Right now, it's little Sharon. He's the one that's important. the The scene that made me realize that the the camera is playing a role of a, as as a character was a uh, that scene where Juan is teaching little how to swim, because the you know the camera's in the water the waves are overlapping across the lens and it's just like dude you feel like you're in that water with them you're getting these like little personal shots into what's going on also fun fact that was actually Ali teaching that child actor how to swim in real life that kid didn't know how to swim that would be horrifying if I was that little kid I used it when I was younger way younger I used to I used to hate pools I was scared of water this is coming from a water polo player yeah then I ended up in like middle school and high school and I started swimming and I actually played water sports but like when I was a lot younger I was terrified of water so like I kind of know that feeling is like no that's the word no oh, I'm dude. good don't want to do that I had three older brothers and those dudes just threw me straight in the pool right in the deep end and they were like we ain't jumping in man sink or swim I've got a question for y'all not to cut you off so yeah, fuck you, Dylan. I thought there was a an interesting. It almost felt like 
you're watching a documentary at times. The way that it was shot with all the the handheld, uh, there was a I can't exactly remember the specific scene, but one of the shots was, oh, it's when it's when Little's being chased by the bullies and he runs up to the you know the project apartment, and the camera kind of tracks with him from up on the railing and it tracks with him and he's running up the stairs and it does a full spin around and then follows him in to the, you know, the abandoned apartment. It's crazy because typically you don't see that, you know, typically, especially when you watch the film and it looks cinematic, usually it's always like one or the other. It's usually more documentary style and it's less cinematic looking or it's more cinematic and it's more structured camera shots locked off. So it feels like you, you're saying that it felt like it was a mixture because it was doing cinematic things while doing camera moves yeah, and like you know make you feel like you're there. Yep. Do you think that kind of helps? Do you think that kind of helps it make it feel like the camera's a character, like you're you're in that story with them? I do because you know the it, I don't think it would really pair well if the shots were you know locked off on sticks. Or they're all on gimbals and steady cams. I think, especially like some of the car shots, when you're in the you're in the back seat and you're just you're going from character to character, back and forth, but you're not cutting. A couple of times they just you know they went from little or his girlfriend to Juan in the front seat and back, and then it wasn't a cut; it was a camera move. You know, back and forth. I thought it was interesting. One of the I don't know if this is true or not or has any sense being true but they also like la la land came out the year before and they were huge with doing the whip pans and cutting back like not really cutting back and forth but like using camera moves to go back and forth between camera or characters so i think they might have taken a page out of that possibly because la la land came out a year before this it's probably um, true no, i think they came out on the same year they were fighting for the oscar they both no la la oh yeah 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 because so they did the moon, mystery moonlight moonlight beat yeah out that la was la speculative land. yeah i'm i'm talking out my butt oh man no, no, that's no, true. No, i think i think la la land did i don't know it was it's kind of that look sometimes we know hollywood and our industry goes through uh movements different movements and eras and not even necessarily eras but different styles for short times trends um trends Did you say trends yeah trends is a good word for that yeah um, thank you tiktok trends and stuff but it's hollywood trends before tiktok existed uh so that could be an effect but also again these like you were saying these dps and these professionals that are real big in the industry is making these massive movies they're not making choices just because it's a trend they're making a choice because they're telling a specific story and that can help them tell a story so is it beyond just like are they doing those whip pans just because it all looks cool or are they doing it because it has a real like effect on the viewer like is that actually making them feel like they're there is it actually doing something for their viewing experience kind of deal it feels like you're watching to me the movie feels like you're watching real life you're you're watching Someone's just got a camera on real people, especially, honestly, the first scene. At both times I've watched the movie, the first scene, the guy doing the drug deal, Juan walks up, you know, he's checking on his uh, his guys. It it felt real. That guy, you know, and it's like he played a small part throughout the movie, but he felt like a real person the, you know, the entire time. I feel like it also helps a little bit that it, I think it was slightly camera inferior. So so the camera was slightly lower them than on plane with them, right? So 
they felt a little bigger, like just the smallest amount. And I feel like that play that does that does infinite amounts to make you feel like those characters are real and like important, even though they're like the one dude's like a throwaway character pretty much. And uh, Juan is only in. Wait, you're talking about that initial drug dealer, like right at the start. Mm hmm. Dude, I love that character. Oh, yeah. I thought he played the role, like, perfectly, and it, dude, he nailed that performance. I wanted to see more of him, like, as the story progressed, honestly. Yeah. yeah. But I just, like, that, that camera move, that, that specific technique they used, just the smallest amount lower than the, than the actors, was a choice. I don't know that for a fact, but I know the industry, and the DP's not gonna be like, oh, oops, shit, forgot. Everything's to- a choice. Also, yeah, but with these, like, with the entire film and you take it into account, you kind of know that, like, it was an intentional choice because everything that they do and, then, like, everything they go about doing is to drive the story forward and, like, what you were saying about it being, like, ve- very realistic and kind of like a documentary plays into what we were talking about with it being, like, a, a neo-realistic film because it really doesn't feel like it's showing a stylized story, but it's just showing someone's life unaltered. A neo-modern, realistic film. Straight up, yeah. You, you guys went to film school. Uh, it's probably not a term. I know neo-realism. We know neo-realism. Yeah, but even then, like, I feel like all of the all of the shots that they had, like, the cinematography was beautiful, and the mise-en-scene, and, like, the framing that they used for all of it was really awesome, and it was fun to watch. And one of the things that I wrote down is, like, this is a film that, like, genuinely film enthusiasts are going to like because it's shot beautifully, the story is intriguing, and it's one of those that you can, like, really sit back and relax. But I still had to watch this two times before we even started recording this because there's so much going on and so many small details in the background that it's, like, you keep picking up on new things, and we've reiterated that multiple, multiple times. But it's, like, there's so much that you can pick up on that I wish I could watch it another couple times and redo this. Another thing that I noticed when I was doing research after watching the movie, just we do some research to make it sound better. Yeah, we try to we try to be smart. A little bit. Just find some facts and interesting things. When I was doing research about the movie, I was kept on coming across like forums and things of people saying like, why did this win Best Picture? Like it's not as grand or uh, like there's not as much of an extravaganza about this movie. There's just like La La Land and stuff. I'm like, a movie doesn't have to be grand or like massive or super like in your face to be the best picture. Like the reason why this movie is so good is all of those small details, but the subtlety behind them too. Like you said, you didn't notice them in the first time just because they're watching it and it's just part of the movie. It doesn't feel like it's anything specific. Like, I don't know. It's like, it doesn't feel off. It feels normal. It feels like it's the world. No. And Absolutely, and I also want to go back and add that, like the the soundtrack or the score behind the entire film felt so natural Great. with going on with everything else. And this is another bit of me talking out my butt, but in in uh in the third act, when Chiron goes to the diner to meet Kevin, the first time he sees him, there's a song by Aretha Franklin playing, and uh, it's called "One Step Ahead" by Aretha Franklin. And a couple years down the line, it released recently, but. JID did a song called Surround Sound and that was the sample that they used for the hook. So it kind of makes me think, talking out my butt, that he watched Moonlight and was like, dang, that's fire. And used that kind of oh, coalition. Shit, like, was the song released after? Oh, well after. Okay, okay. The song was released like last year or something. Oh, okay. So it just might be me talking out my butt, but it's like, no, Sounds it's a good fact. Way. It's a fact. Everybody, it's fact. Todd, and it's a fact. Yep. All right. 
Um, okay, so talking about a little bit of the music stuff, I'm going to kind of transition to not music, but with music. So one of my favorite elements of this film, favorite things that I watched, favorite shots particularly, it's actually a sequence, um, is the sequence when we're going from Act 2 to Act 3 and where Chiron becomes black in that sequence. I love that. I thought it was one of the most, like, it's almost jarring in a good way. Like, it's not, it's not like jarring, like, what the fuck's going on? But it's more like, oh, wow, he's different now. This is interesting. What happened? I want to know how he changed. Um, and it doesn't really explain how he changes. It just kind of shows this is who he is now. This is his life. No, it does a it does a good job with any time it does those time jumps too. Mm-hmm. It it doesn't feel jarring. It roots you in things. Like there are parts of the world that roots you into it. Like you know exactly who they are right away just with little details. Um even um even part one going into part two and it's him in the classroom, they hear him talking to Chiron almost immediately and they call him out and you're like, Okay, so he's playing Chiron now. But it's also what's really cool is that they don't bring in the title card until a scene is played and you're oriented into it, and then you're like, oh, this is for sure part two. So that's a little syntax question there. That is, is that part of Act 1 before the title card, or is it part of Act 2 just with the title card after it? That's the real question. Part of Act 2. Yeah, no doubt. It's an editing choice. Yeah. Which it was up for best editing, so... Yeah, and I mean it lets you it lets you get into the the feel of what the act's gonna be before it's just like oh we're just doing this. I think it's they a, needed a transition. It was a cool was. creative choice to because typically you're always just gonna cold open. You're just gonna see yeah. You're always just gonna see it uh, structured played out. Well, here's Act Two, and then it takes you in. It's kind of a cool creative choice to you know throw in a little sneak peek, a little cold open. Well, with that, they also do the transition between the acts each time of just doing a black screen and having these like colored dots show up every now and again. And you know, I didn't notice that until act three. And then I was like, wait, is that on all of them? And then I went back and watched the other, like the title cards. I was like, Oh shit, dude, I'm, I'm so curious about that. And I have zero thoughts on like what it is or what it's doing. I just thought it was interesting. I don't know. Maybe it sets up, uh, the different vibe for each one, but kind of going back to that, like little sneak peek, that cold open. I think that's one of those things that helps you, get into the act without being so jarred is because they're showing you what the act is right before it goes act three. Like you sure. see, you see the first shot of uh black before, you know, he's black being yelled at by Shimon's mom. And you're kind of like, okay, wait, that's who he is. It kind of grounds you in that reality before you like really are into act three. It's not like act three. Okay. Now we're talking about the story. It's like act two, we're showing you Act 3, now it's Act 3, and now the story begins, kind of. And that just, the first few shots in the end of Act 2 to Act 3, in that sequence, where you see that Chiron has totally become black now, um, and almost like an image of Juan, is, I think, one of the coolest sequences. That's a good point that I, I, I thought about last night. You don't, he basically becomes Juan. And I was wondering if there's... What's, is there a purpose to that? Is it just showing the, you know, because in poverty, there's only, you see it, there's only so many ways you can make it out. I mean, look at the life he had building up to that, especially being a gay guy, you know, what do you, what exactly do you do? But it was very odd because it's like a weird juxtaposition of 
you you they build it up the whole time and you know who Chiron is, you know, quote unquote no. But then at the end, you see him become Juan, but he's not and even Kevin makes it a point, you know, like, what what are you doing, man? You got the the gold fronts, the the chains, you know, the I mean, you know, health is wealth, so I'm not I'm not saying the him getting swole was a thing, but he got you know, he goes to juvie or prison or whatever and you just it was a weird evolution of the character that I wondered, was it intentional that he ends up basically becoming Juan, who was kind of his father figure? No, to to bring a little light to that, this is one of the things that I like also picked up on in the story was Chiron becoming Juan. And just to kind of ponder that a little bit, it's like Chiron didn't really have a father figure at his home growing up, so then once he was introduced to Juan and Teresa, he kind of like, made them his second family and Juan became his father figure because Juan took care of him, Juan taught him how to swim, all of that. And it's like, Chiron had his life, he had who he was becoming, but once he went to juvie, he even said, when I went to Georgia, I had a clean start, I could build myself back up from anything. And he wanted to build himself hard. That's true. And that's his main figure in his life that he can model himself after. Yeah, and even then, it's like, you kind of, you're watching this film and you're thinking Chiron, he's the main character, he's a good kid he's not a bad kid he does what he should do um and you're like in in the purest black and white he's a good good kid he's not a bad person right and what you see from Juan in the purest black and white Juan's a bad person he's a drug deal he's doing illegal things right like in the purest like he's bad black and white right black and white in very black and white black white in no gray but then you kind of see Chiron. He's the he's the good guy. Juan is supposed to be the black guy, but we know from the very be- the, the the bad guy. Sorry, black and white. Uh, <laughs> Juan's supposed to be the bad guy, but we see from the very beginning he is the the only one that actually cares for him and the only one that is like being nice for him, and he doesn't give a shit what Chiron is or who Chiron is. He just sees that this kid needs help and needs someone to like look for him dude and that becomes evident especially at the end of act one when they're sitting around the table and like chiron's asking all of those questions and one's just like doesn't really matter dude like we're still we're here for you no matter what kind of thing yeah and then in the end when you see chiron become black and become that version of himself it's not like oh he he left being a good person to become like a drug deal criminal whatever no he became one and we know that one was the only person that actually cared for him and for somebody that needed help so it kind of it kind of brings up the question is there black and white is there good and bad or is there just like a whole world of gray areas that comes into question do you think him becoming one was because that's that was his idea of what a man is I think so, but it also became evident that he became Juan when his, like, dealer came in with the payroll and Juan was like, the, or not Juan, but, you know, Chiron's like, the count's off, whatever, and he's just fucking with him because that's exactly what Juan used to do with his guy at the start. Yeah. He'd be like, no, you don't en- empty the register here. You empty it on the weekends, my dude, you know, those kind of things. It was like he very much created this, like, persona and who he wanted to be based off Juan because I think there is a whole world of gear like gray areas and it's like you can be inherently good or inherently evil but you could also be like you know yeah any form of that it's it goes along with the 
the fact that Juan was uh was a father figure, he was a protective person towards Chiron as when he was little. Um we don't really see it when he was Chiron in like the middle portion, but I mean you can you can understand that it happened. Like everybody's talking about he goes to Teresa's all the time, blah blah blah. Um but in that moment, like you were saying with Juan's uh foot soldier kind of deal, right? Like he's he's teaching him lessons. He's telling him stuff. He's not he's not he's not just fucking with him. He's teaching him a lesson. And same with with Black Chiron in the end, he goes he's fucking with him and he's just joking around, but he's like teaching him a lesson at the same time. Like it's not like if you can't like you can't be on the you can't be on the street pedaling if you like you can't handle someone messing with you, right? Like it's a it's a moment of like teaching in like a joke when it's like I'm trying to I'm trying to do the best for you. Like I'm trying to watch out for you kind of deal. Yeah. What why do you think why do you think Juan seemingly chose little to kind of mentor of you know cuz he's surrounded by kids. They're running around everywhere. And it was kind of interesting to me of why especially a little gay kid, you know? Why why do you think Juan chose little to kind of mentor? I don't think it has anything to do with uh I don't think it has anything to do with anything really that's a really weird way to phrase that. I think it has everything to do with the fact that little needed someone, right? Juan is Juan is a good person, objectively a good person. He was going to watch out for the little guy that needs help. Maybe this is Juan, that's who Juan was in the past. Maybe that was Juan. Juan was the kid that was picked on and then he changed himself to be somebody that doesn't get picked on. Um so maybe he sees that in little, but we don't know. We don't see Juan's life before. We only can can infer things. And I think it kind of shows from I think if if Chiron becomes one in becoming his black as his persona, right? Does does that mean how Chiron acts in third act and getting the getting the the nice things from Kevin, right Kevin? Last time I said Kenny and it was wrong, but it was Kevin. It's Kevin. Uh, like the the small acts of kindness from Kevin and Chiron and and uh, Juan, kind of formulate who Chiron is. Like, is is that things that Juan did? Like, was Juan shown those small acts of kindness, and that's who he became because he got that kindness. He then showed that kindness to someone else, or did he start it? Like, why did he choose Little? Because Little needed help. And he's a good person, so he did it. I also think there's kind of like what you were saying earlier is he sees a little bit of himself in him. Because like Juan came from Cuba and Juan was talking about his childhood in Cuba being very similar to like what Chiron's was. So I think it's like there's a little bit of that and a little bit of like knowing you're both on your own island. Because it's like Juan's not gay. We know that. But it's like he's a immigrant from Cuba. And when he came here, he might have been on his own in an island so he can understand Chiron's feelings and what it's like to be in that perspective of being on an island by yourself. He was the outcast before. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily like uh, he had little kindnesses done to him throughout his childhood, but it's just he's a good person and he knows like... You know, you might have a job that has bad means or, you know, something like that. But at the end of the day, you're still a good person and you can do that by like your actions. Yeah. So, so specifically, uh, those things that you were talking about, how the, his bad has bad 
his job has bad like effects sometimes. Uh, one of those like really like pivotal moments in that movie was in Act One when Juan is at his with his uh with his cellar right, and then he sees that car and he's like, "What the fuck are they doing here?" And he tells him to get out of here, and he realizes it's Chiron's mom. And then she kind of goes, then why are you selling me rocks? And he's like, kind of like, goes like, oh shit, like, it does fall back. You know he knows that. Huh? You know he knows that. Yeah, yeah, but then when he's being told that, and she's like, what, are you going to raise my kid now? Like, you're the reason why I'm doing drugs, you're the reason why I'm getting drugs. It kind of like, to him, it's like, it kind of falls on him for a second. He's like, yeah, I am, like. I'm the problem here, right? I'm facilitating. Yeah, he's facilitating this problem. And it's like, in actuality, let's be honest, she would go get it from someone else. It does not like absolutely. it's particularly his fault. I'm not saying you should go deal drugs, uh, but I am saying that, that like, you see how he reacts to that. Like, he doesn't want to be doing that. He just kind of has to do that. Like, that's the way he's found success for himself is that, and, like, you can see that, like, when she calls him out on it, he's like, I hate the fact that I have to do this. So one of the things I want to bring up about that is, like, you know in the film that's her first time, like, getting in smoking crack. Maybe not the very first time, but it's the first time we see it, obviously. But, like, before then, the first time you see her, she's a nurse. She's in scrubs walking home from work. And then that's when we get introduced to her boyfriend in Act 1, who's that big dude, Chiron meets him for, like, a brief moment when he walks into the apartment, and, like, the mom's like, where were you? Slams the door, grabs all the stuff, runs into the bedroom, asks the dude to come with, and then you see him again in the car. So it's like, that dude put her onto crack, and then that's how she started buying from Juan all the time. But then, shout out to, like, the costuming and makeup department, because we, like, see the evolution of her becoming, like, a full crackhead by the end of, like, part two, and then in part three, she's in rehabilitation, but, like, her teeth are all stained and yellow and craggedy and her hair is starting to get gray and all of that. And it's like, it shows that evolution of like getting into it, being consumed by it and recovery afterwards. And I think that's something that was like really impressive throughout the film. Yeah. That, that honestly, that is very true. It's impressive to see that kind of evolution that, that you can just show simply by hair and makeup without having to say anything. And also the performances, uh, her performance changing, uh, not drastically, but like in the perfect right ways to assume that role as that character. Just small little changes in performances, sometimes big changes when she like starts yelling at Chiron and stuff. But you know what I'm saying? Like the, her mannerisms change, uh, the wardrobe changes, the hair and makeup stuff. It's all it's crazy. Yeah, and I mean, like the casting department did a fantastic job with this. I mean, each role was cast perfectly, and even then with uh young middle and old Chiron those three actors never talked to each other on set they never had any interaction and they all got to create what they thought Chiron's personality was themselves and then explore that within the film and I mean it was a 20 26 28 day shoot or something like that but it was like each of these characters took what they knew their role was and performed it really really well who do you think played the best if you had to choose the best Chiron. I don't know if there was a best Chiron because they're all different parts of himself and different versions of himself, right? So the one I the one I liked the most. I think Which made you which character made you feel the most? That one's easy. I it's think different the, things made me feel the most. 
I think it was that middle Chiron because that's the most I agree. like pivotal point of his like character development and his growth. So I think that actor did a fantastic job doing that. And I mean, he's a great actor. He's been in a ton of other stuff, including like that Hulu show about Wu Tang. Like he plays Rizza, dude. I think he's a good actor. I think the middle version of Chiron, the Act Two version of Chiron, Chiron, no longer little. Um, I think that version was had the most influence on who he became, right? So I think that might be, like you were saying, the most pivotal. But I also thought maybe one of the best moments of the film is when he is black. And at the end, he kind of breaks down into Chiron again. I thought that with was... With his mom? No, with... Uh, with with Kevin at the end. That was beautiful, actually. Yeah, and he's like, he's like, I have not been touched by anyone else like since then it's like he loved him yeah like like that that was he built up a wall to protect himself and it broke down in that moment and i thought that was one of i think that's why i like i think my favorite is black i think he's my favorite version of chiron for that reason is he built up this wall and it broke down and it was just so like interesting to see and i know what you guys are saying about about the middle version of chiron being like most influential and like important in who he became i just thought it was really interesting to see this version of self crumble to who he was before what about you dylan which was your favorite chiron man i i think i would go with the second one as well the you know chiron chiron so have we prefaced that they're the acts are little yeah okay just make it sure it's little chiron and then black i would i i think i think chiron but I, I'm, you know, now that we're discussing it, I'm wondering, was it the actor? Was it the writing? You know, was it the script? And that portion just kind of, I just feel like every, he, you could see it in his face. All of his emotions he played in his face so well. And he made you, you know, it made me sad, honestly, to just feel like, honestly, to to be gay, surrounded by, in a lifestyle that's not conducive to being gay and not really accepting is one thing, but you know, it's to be frank, you know, it's not, it's not like a masculine, it's not common in African-American poverty to be gay, you know? And that's kind of like a, okay, let me rephrase that. It's probably common, but you, you won't know it. You know, it's not something that you're going to openly discuss in that, in that world that you're, you're viewing. So I feel like it was really cool to see him not know who he is, you know, especially in the part one where he's asking the questions, you know, what, what is, you know, what is, you know, the derogatory term for being gay? He's asking, uh, Juan that. So then you, you, you're understanding that he doesn't understand what that is. And then you go to act two and he's just bullied, you know, he's bullied the whole time for being the gay kid. He's a great kid though. So that's, that's, what's weird is it's, you're building it up the whole time. And then it's almost like creating the I think the middle Chiron is creating what you see in black because he's he snaps, you know, and fine and I was kinda like cheering it on. The second time I watched it, I'm like, Hell yeah, you know, kill kill him. But not you know, okay, not kill him, you know. Not the literal kill. Track it back here. Yeah. Bring it back. Let's here. fuck him up a Let's little bit. Let's walk it back. Just just hurt him. Yeah. You know, give him what he's been giving you. But it was cool to see him almost start accepting it and then to finally have someone where he can you know on the beach he's kind of like at least he's got that one guy because 
he doesn't have anyone, man. He lost. He's got Teresa. That's the only person in his The life. worst thing about that, I think, is that. Sorry, did you want to say something? You're fine. The worst thing I think about that is the person he does have betrays him almost instantly. Hang on, though. This is exactly what I was about All to bring right, up. Is he knows that Kevin was pushed into that to do it, and that's why when Kevin was hitting him, he kept going down and being like, Chiron, stay down, because he does care for him. He does have that love there. And also, that's also why, like, once you get to Black at the end and Kevin calls him, there's no animosity, there's no hate, because he knows that Kevin was just doing what he could do to survive and not get outed. Because he knows that if Kevin was outed the same way that people had talked about Chiron, Chiron knows that like it was over for Kevin too. Yeah. Like that's it's so fucked up. And like, dude, also on first watch to second watch, I didn't really pick up on the trajectory of Kevin. Like I didn't realize in part one that the his little best friend was also Kevin then and it's Kevin all throughout. And it's like that's something that like on first watch you kind of blow past it of like, oh, these are just his friends when he's little and then when you see Kevin again and they're older, you like don't necessarily pick up on that right away. But then when you see him come back in the end, you're like, oh, I got that pretty quick. Sorry. I I personally thought I thought the casting was excellent. Yeah. I thought Kevin's casting from child Kevin to adult Kevin, I didn't think I didn't like it. It, you know, like it, it didn't I match didn't. quite as well as Chiron no. did. Yeah. I thought everyone else's was pretty solid. I think I think the biggest jump was young Kevin to to teenage high school. Yeah, teenage that's kind of what I'm talking about. I feel that was the biggest jump, but I feel like is that casting or is that him as a character? Like, is that his character projecting who he is trying to pretend to be? Well, I just felt to like then, to they, hide. They who didn't he really. Look, is. Everyone else kind of resembled. Yeah, you know, like but Kevin from childhood Kevin, because I watched it with my wife and she actually was confused. She she picked up on everyone else's. She wasn't. She didn't know that little Kevin to high school Kevin was the same person. I think what I think what I gravitated to and what kind of pulled me into oh this is Kevin easily was the chain. He wore the same chain the entire movie. That's a good point. Like those are those little details. Actually, I don't even know if he wore it in the shout end. out art design production yeah. design mm-hmm. wardrobe straight up. But like the, those are those little details that help you kind of tie in who those characters are. Right? Details matter. Absolutely. And speaking of details, one of the things that was really, really interesting is when you get to the last part of Black and Chiron pulls up to the diner and there's that one song playing in his car, whatever. As soon as he turns off the keys, music stops, cuts back, whatever, goes into the, yeah, it's diegetic. But he goes into the diner and then eventually once him and Kevin are driving later on and he turns the music back on, it's the same song in the same spot that starts playing again. So it lets you know, like, hey, he's not listening to radio. It's modern times. He has his smartphone that we've already seen before. So it's just like a modern someone playing music off their phone. Because I don't think a lot of productions actually do that nowadays. Like, they always rely on, like, oh, it's radio. People are just going to think, like, oh, you're starting with a new song because the radios skip forward to a different time. I mean, it could also be a cassette tape. It could be, could but be it was also a very interesting, like, part of it that was, like, this was an intentional choice, and it works so well. Mm-hmm. Because it's a it's a it's a feeling that he's bringing into that diner, and continues on after, right? So, yeah, I don't know. I just think there's so many aspects of this movie that it's so subtle and so important at the same time. And that goes with earlier you were saying, was it the casting? Was it the writing? Was it the acting that all like together made that made the movie like so good in certain parts? I can't exactly remember exactly what you're talking about. 
Uh, yeah. I said exactly so many times. Exactly right there. Exactly. Exactly. That was exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, um, dude. You got exactly, it exactly really, right. It's exactly what I'm talking about right now. Uh, gotta hate myself. Don't don't hate yourself. Nah, that's true. I hate how I talk sometimes. There we go. That's oh, better. we all do. Yeah. What I was saying, though, was you can't have individual elements make something great. It's all of those things together that make it really good. So those moments with Chiron that are so impactful are not because it was just acting, but because the writing was really good, too. And what did the camera do? The camera did things to make that feel even more important. Um, Can I segue? Segue. So they use the fourth wall in this a lot. But there was specifically one shot that I wanted to pick your brains on. Was it? In, it was intentional. I mean, we've established that. But it. Most of the other fourth walls are POVs. You know, Kevin's looking at himself. Kevin's looking at Black. But there was one. The the one outside the diner where Kevin's smoking outside. I think he was smoking a cigarette or something, and he turns to look at the camera. Every other time that you see it, it's it's a, it's immediately established. It's a close-up shot on the face, on the eyes. But the only time I ever saw it do differently, done differently, was outside the diner. Kevin turns his head and looks at the camera. What do you think? Kevin does or Sharon? I think it was Kevin. Pretty sure it was Kevin. Okay. Outside the diner. Yeah, Kevin intentionally breaks the fourth wall outside the diner. Was that before? before? Was that when... Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Was that when the phone call or was that when he was at the diner? I think, I want to say it was a, I can't, to answer your question, I'm not sure, but I want to say it was a little, it was like a slower paced montage. And then Kevin like slowly, you know, the cameras, you know, Kevin's, I think he was leaning up against the windows or something outside the Yeah, band. no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I just can't remember what, I can't remember what part that was in, like where the context was and the sequence was. Yeah, I'm having a hard time, like, trying to picture it, but, I'm, I mean, just to go off, like, theory, anytime someone really breaks the fourth wall, it's like a... I'm going to look it up while we're look talking. It up. But anytime someone breaks the fourth wall, it's kind of like a, a mention of, like, hey, this is important, or hey, it's a moment of reflection, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I feel like it's less breaking the fourth wall, but more the, char- the camera being a character, like, he's looking at something rather than looking through the camera. Well, that's... Right? Yeah, so they establish that they want to make the camera a character, but... Every other time, it's in, it seemed intentional. Seemed like the camera is moving to go in front of them, but this time, yeah, he you know, they're in front of the camera. It's a tight shot on their face. They're, you're seeing the emotion. You're seeing Chiron when he dips his head in the in the ice. You're seeing Black. You're seeing Kevin. You know, when they're at the booth and they're looking at each other, and there's like these intense, long hanging mo- mo- camera mo- camera movements. There we go. Sorry. And these then, are these are hard technical yeah, they, terms that a DP wouldn't know. Yeah, these are very technical terms that are obviously not used often on yeah. a set. Yeah, every every camera room is just a pan. Yeah, yeah, pan up, pan down, pan to the side. Yeah, pan around oh, that thing. Pan forward, pan back. Yeah, exactly. Pan up, down. Yeah, yeah. So, um, any any ideas? Just take a take a guess at it. Like why? Why? I'll why try to they find the that? video for you, but I'm just know. curious. I, feel, I can't guess if I don't know the context because I feel like I know exactly what you're talking about, but I can't like remember the exact context of it. Um, something that I was this is a random detail, but it made me so uncomfortable and so like annoyed was when they were on the phone with each other in Act Three, and Kevin keeps on moving the phone 
from his left ear to his right ear back and forth so many times. I was like, that's so, like, I don't know why that made me uncomfortable. I just stopped, just like put the phone on one ear. Just no, sit I do there. that all the time. Are you kidding? Well, it, it was a corded phone and you get the crick in your neck, man. Yeah. You gotta switch it. Dude, it's just making me like, especially your when time, you're trying dude. to like press it up against your ear I like that. I use a corded phone, Dylan. Oh. Or are you eight years older than us? You're like, oh, shut up, child. What are you, a boomer now, dude? Shit. No, I just, it was like, dude. ADD or something, just like keep it. I have ADD, but dude, I just like just put that phone on your. T- <laughs> I don't know. Just, it just, just bugged leave me. it there. It just bugged me because the shot was like also the shot was it was a really beautiful shot, but it was like cutting off most of his face because you don't like you don't see him yet. It's part of that like it's part of that camera being character. You're not being revealed until what he looks like until it's like fully done. So you're only seeing parts of him. And I don't know. I was just bugging me. I was just like, just keep the fucking phone on the one. T- Dude, on the flip side of that, though, on the same end of the phone call was Chiron literally just laying on his back and he just set his phone on his face and was like just listening. Yeah, I have, I have, maybe that's why I made me uncomfortable. I'm a little more like Chiron on the phone. Yeah, like, you uh, just, just you're like, like, oh, I'm talking. Sometimes I'll be wearing headphones and I'll just put my phone like in the headphone and just talk like that. Like, yeah. that's how I'll do it. All right, I, I got it pulled up. All right, let's see. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's the scene where he's, Black's in his bed. He's talking to Kevin on the phone. It's the first time Kevin calls him. Oh, so this is after the phone call then? It's after the original phone call. And. Oh, in the slow-mo stuff. Yeah, totally forgot it's about the that slow-mo. like slow-mo drags the cigarette, leans the head back. And then it's, yeah, the slow-mo turned to the side. Oh, I know why that does is. The, does the pluff of smoke. I know why that is. Um, That's Chiron dreaming about him. Was it? I think so. Because I know he had. That's how I. That's how I got. I felt like all the slow mo shots were. I'm pretty sure, I could be wrong, but in the context of the slow mo shots, I think they're all Chiron's dreams. It's a good because I know there was the one dream where he's black and he wakes up with a wet dream. Yeah, that was this one. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. So it might so be it's, the dream. It's it's, Chir- it's, it's Kevin looking it's at Chiron dream. in the dream. So the camera is well played. Chiron is yeah. Black. There was the one dream at the end of um Act Two as well, mm-hmm. where his mom's yelling at him. Yes. Well, yes, but she's there was yelling, also the she's yelling the f word at him. Wasn't there also the dream where like Chiron walks up to Kevin like and some chick and he's just like standing there? That was also a dream. Okay. Yeah, that yeah. was a dream, but it was a weird one. That one was not slow mo though. No, it wasn't. No, he 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 was not slow mo. Yeah, I had. No, I was he listen- was he was pumping, dude. So I was listening to that on uh on <laughs> without headphones on on my computer. Oh, your mom <laughs> ran upstairs on nah, you? No, no, nobody was home. Nobody was home, but that would have been real awkward. <laughs> that would have been real awkward. Definitely. No, there's obviously like a ton to sit down and talk about about this film. And I mean, we've we've done a fair share of talking, but I just wanted to open up the floor to any last thoughts, anything you guys really want to get off your chest or, or say about this film. Oh, you want to go first, Dylan? Mm. No, nah, Todd, you asked the question. You go first. Oh, all right. No, I... Overall, I mean, this was a a beautiful film, and it was absolutely enjoyable. There's a ton of different times when you're just sitting there, and you kind of have all of these different thoughts you can sit and ponder, and we've kind of gotten to explore a lot of those today. But, again, this is a film that you can absolutely learn a ton from, because, I mean, I definitely think it's influential, and I definitely think it's an important film. I mean, any film that really wins awards is something to take note of in any regard, but this one did a great job, and it told a story that's not oftentimes told. That's a that's an important point. I would I think that you don't you know, it's a it's important to tell the stories of the marginalized people in general, but a this, marginalized group in a marginalized people. Yes. And th- yeah, that's a even better point. That's like a one up. You know, it's 
African-American and gay. And it's, I thought it did a great job of taking you through, almost showing you what life would be like to grow up with, you know, impoverished, your mom does drugs, you, you know, you don't really have anyone. And then you find, you know, two people that you just meet by happenstance. You know, that's kind of also an important note is, you know, he was in the right time at the right place to meet one. You know, what would Chiron's life be if he didn't meet one? Absolutely. Where did he, where does he end up? So I thought that it was a great way to portray like a realistic, almost like a cinematic documentary that shows you the way to, you know, what, what life is like being someone like Chiron growing up in that area. Yeah. I think my, my takeaways are, um, there's not many ways I can relate to this movie in like, I'm not gay. I'm not a minority. There's not like really easy ways for me to like, though, this story is going to be very relatable. But the way that this film goes about telling the story makes it feel like I can almost relate because you're so immersed in their story and you feel everything with them. And it's just a really good way to open up those stories like you're talking about, about people that are marginalized in in a way that you can see it and be like, wow, that's like serious and important. And I understand it, not necessarily understand it completely, but I can like, you're looking into their world. We've talked about that before is movies are a window to a time in the past or they're also like a different lens. cultures they're yeah, a lens, they're a into, lens into other cultures yeah. other ways of life and how people live how to how to picture things and open up your mind a little bit to see from someone else's like shoes like walk a mile in their shoes and you can see like it's a whole other world yeah and i think uh my last thought on this i don't know if anybody will have anything to add after it but my last major thing from this film is it's not necessarily a movie that does anything particularly amazing or influential other than the story is about something that is very important and influential. Like it's showing to you, you can be successful telling stories about people that are minorities within a minority, even like, um, it won awards. It was, it was the first film to win an Oscar with like, with a gay, with a gay, uh, gay lead, gay lead. Mm-hmm. As well as it was the first entirely African American cast to yep. win an Oscar. Yeah. It's just like these stories are able to be told, so let's tell more of them. Yeah, and I mean, so I think that's one of the biggest influential things is like we're not whitewashing Hollywood is is coming to the to the end. Well, also this is kind of a segue because we've talked a lot about story, but just on a pure production standpoint, I mean. They had a $1.5 million budget and they filmed within almost a month and yet they've now won four different Oscars for this film that they did with one camera, one look, obviously shot different ways, but it's like you don't need a lot. You do need a good story, something that people want to hear a story being told about and get really good casting and you can always go off and make something that could be to this caliber. I mean, a $1.5 million budget is basically nothing. (laughs) I mean, it's huge for what they did though. If you think about it, like they're filming on location and it's like, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like other films would have way more money for the same kind of deal. And I just think it's really impressive how with that little funds, little in terms of like little and blockbuster Hollywood Oscar winning movies, right? Like the budget's tiny and they did something amazing. Dude, that would have been cool if we uh, figured out what La La Land's budget was because they were going head to head. Same with Hidden Figures. Those were all probably hidden well figures more. Figures could be wrong, well but I bigger think budgets. La La Land's budget was maybe twelve million dollars. Twelve million dollars. Arrival. That was another movie he was going against. Dude, it was 
The Oscars that year was no oh like, no sorry. La La Land's budget was thirty million. So thirty times get smoked, La La Land. <laughs> I I would say I bet it had the least budget of all these movies potentially. Because yeah, I mean they were in 2017's Oscars and they had a ton of uh really reputable and awesome films that were going up against it. Crazy Stupid Love had a budget of fifty million dollars. That's actually wild. I did not expect that. A Star Is Born had Great a thirty-six point. million dollar budget. All right, you're going too so far it really down the rabbit hole. It had a negative. Yeah, it had no budget. It had no budget. It's kind of inspired me to think about because I love documentary. You know, and when you watch this film, it give it makes you feel like you're like you're getting a the feeling of a documentary. Yeah, you know the emotion of it. It's the neo realism style. But you enjoy the beauty of it. It's made me. It's kind of inspired me to try to. Let you know. Let's make, let's make documentary stuff in this fashion. You know, it doesn't have to just be bare bones. No, no cinematic thought into it, and just following you know camera around, telling the story that way. Let's, you know, let's combine the two. You can make a narrative film feel like a documentary by just being real to the world. Yeah, and I mean, one thing you've always talked about, like in a work standpoint, is you've always wanted to do like character driven stories, and this is something that like obviously kind of falls in suit with that of. It's a story about Chiron and what he goes through, and it's like the the course of his life, and the it's really just only highlighting like the key moments that have like shaped who he is, where he's come from, and those kind of small things. And all in all, I mean, it's a it's a beautiful film. Let's give it a rating. A rating? Oh, decimals are included. All right, decimals are included. Nine point nine. Yeah, I don't. You could, I don't want to see throw the thing is, too big of a bone. I was gonna say like nine point two, but it's up uh, there. I, I think. The reason why I give it that is because you can always do something better, but with this film, I don't. There, I don't think there's anything specific that I could like actually point out that could have done better. Because yeah. I think everything it did was like right for its story. You can do different things for different stories, but like this was like the, from my point of view, after watching it and after like examining it and doing research about it, like this is the best like version of the story. I could be wrong, and I could totally be wrong, but I think they did everything right for this story. The one thing, the one thing why it doesn't have a 10 is because in the slow-mo shots, the thing that bugged me was the flicker of the lights sometimes. That was the only thing that kind of bugged me. But it also gave a look, it. too. It also felt like it was on purpose. Because I know they could, have, they, could have, they could have changed that if they really wanted to. They could have fucked the lights on the set and stuff. Yeah. That was the only thing. I was kind of like, I don't know why it's like that, but maybe because it was supposed to feel real, maybe, that kind of doc style. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, I think it's 9.9. It did, it did exactly what it needed to do to make this story. Yeah, I mean, even through all of our talk, I don't think we really ever pointed out anything that was, like, truly negative or worked against the film. Like, it's definitely well-warranted to be in the, like, upper nines to tens if we're rating it out of ten. Yeah, I might be going easy, but I, I like to grade things easy. Well, yeah. I mean, it's also just one of those films that you can sit down and watch and it actually hooks your attention the entire time. Because, like, that's something I've talked about before. If you don't engage your viewers for the entirety of your film and do stuff to draw them back in, you're going to lose them or they're going to pick up their phones, especially if they're watching at home, you know? And that's something that's kind of disastrous for any sort of filmmaker. Or watching late at night after having a couple beers. Yeah, I wasn't going to disclose that, but yeah, I was a little tipsy on first watch. So I watched it again and I learned a lot more. (laughs) But yeah, no, it's... Honestly, it's an awesome film. I would definitely give it like a 9.2 to 9.5 because really the the Kevin actor, that little mix up at the start and then those 
little light flickers, I guess, are the only two real things that we had. We're definitely picking nits at this point. Oh, for it. sure. It's a gorgeous so film. If so, I if, mean, if we're critiquing it to that level, it's a damn good film. It's a damn oh, well, good you, film. You need to grade it. You haven't said what. No, I, I, no I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying, like, if this is what we're picking, they, they nailed it. Yeah. Give me a number value. You're the one that brought up this question. You go 9-9. Nine, nine. I went 9-9. Nine, nine. He went 9-2 to 9-5. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go... I'm going to go 9-6. Nine, 9-6? Six. Nine, six? Oh, nine, split six. the diff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So I, I, mean, I think our average good. is pretty close to 9-6 then. Yeah. I thought they mixed in enough. They, they, it's so unique in several ways from the Fuji to Agfa to Kodak look between the three X, the editing, uh, the, the different can- use of camera moves and, you know, from easy rig to steady cam to handheld is just chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. I guess I'm good. So today was a little longer of an episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I guess it's a come high time to to hit the outro. I guess so. Real quick, we we just want to say a quick thank you to our uh, our good buddy and our in house DP over at Twelve Midnight, Dylan Wallace. He uh, hopped on the show. I know he has a a little bit of a fear of like public speaking sometimes. Cue so. the cheers. Yeah, our live audience. Go Dylan! Yeah, you did it. But yeah, thank you for hopping on. I, I mean, you absolutely brought in a lot of different insights than what Dom and I would have brought up ourselves. So it was definitely a fun, fun movie to get to explore. And I hope we can get you on here again. Yeah, definitely. This was a blast. Yeah, have me, have me back, please. Oh, I think we might do that. I know there's another film that you've always wanted us to sit down and talk about. If you want to give us a little insight into what that is, yeah, it's a little, little running joke here. Yeah, in the this office. is a running joke. Pretty much amongst everyone that knows me. Uh, the Last Black Man in San Francisco. I wouldn't say it's my favorite movie, is what I would tell people, but it it's definitely probably my favorite movie from the cinematography standpoint. Yeah, I would uh I would also have to agree. I've I've watched that film due to your recommendation, and I would definitely say it was my my top watch of 2022. It was probably my favorite film through the whole year. Sounds like we'll have to take a look at that film, and that'll be coming sometime in season two. Which is coming down the line because we are now wrapping up our final episode of season one of Theater Cleaners. Thank you all for sticking with us. I know we're a lot to handle sometimes, but it's been a good time. It's given us something to do, and we hope we've gotten to teach you guys a couple of things along the way or given you insights into some films you might not normally watch. Definitely. So I've been Dom. I've been Todd. And I'm Dylan. Yeah, and this has been another episode of of Theater Cleaners. This is just a little sneak preview of what we're going to be doing on in Season 2. And if you guys have anything you guys want us to do, anything you guys want us to watch, any little tidbits, any little facts, whatever, write the show. Write to us at theater cleaner, or theater-cleaners at 12-midnight.com. That's our email. You can always hit us up on Instagram, write through the DMs, slide in them sometimes. Who knows? Um... But yeah, it's a good time and we want to have a little more fan involvement going on into season two and we hope we can keep doing this. Definitely. Todd will be reading every single one of those DMs himself. Yeah. So don't don't say anything inappropriate. I think that's you should say. <laughs> Fair enough. Judgment free zone. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. Well, uh, glad to have you guys. Listen to us. Yeah, I mean, I feel a little sad right now. Almost have another manly teardrop coming down the the side of the One face. One single tear. Yeah, I'm, I feel like I feel like I'm delaying ending this because it's like this is the end of season one. This I know. Like, what are we gonna do with our time? You just got an Irish goodbye, man. Irish goodbye. Irish goodbye. You're just like. All right. So like, see you guys next time.